Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone, my name's Beck, and I'm back as the host of the Set on Sunday podcast and joining me around our podcasting table is Dan the Man, he's back. Hello again, yes, good to be back. <laughs> so you've passed the test twice now, Yeah, you must be feeling pretty good. It's great. <laughs> Very good. And James, you're in the hot seat today, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, I am ready to defer. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> no, no, I will answer questions, I am here for the people. Oh, thanks, James. <laughs> Does that sound similar from Sunday, I anyone? Say, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you are sore. And you are our tallest member on staff, so uh, it's, I love it. Yeah, you. but I don't have the looks like the rest of you, so... <laughs> oh, let's listen to this. Yeah, let's go. Right. All right, well, we had a... He- oh, Nathan, oh, hi. I'm here, I'm here. Welcome back, Beck. Token, token yeah. member. And, um, Dave, Bringing the Dave, vibes. And Dave's doing Dave things, so, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we thought we'd bring Dan in instead. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You're, you're earning your spot, mate. Yeah. You're doing well. Fans prefer Dan. Yeah, it's true. It's true. All right. right, (laughs) Let's get stuck into it because we had a lot of questions um, come through from the sermon on Sunday. Um, Seven of them were the same question, but we still had lots of questions. Mm. So let's get into it. James, what did you talk about on Sunday? All right. So we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, which is where God uh, says um, through Samuel uh, to Saul, uh, that he is to wipe out the Amalekites, um, which is quite a, a hard thing to, to hear, uh, especially where it explicitly says that you're to put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Um, and so for us as modern day readers, that can be quite jarring um, to think that God is here asking, um, you know, his, his people to, to wipe out another nation. Um, and so I spent a fair chunk of time unpacking that because, you know, happy Mother's Day when we're talking about <laughs> women and children being killed. Um, thought it might be worth just helping people understand um, a little bit more as to sort of what's going on. And so I, I said it um, said that, you know, context is key. Mm. Context really helps us understand uh, why that was said, what was being written. Um, and sort of so we spent a good sort of 10, 10 plus minutes just unpacking uh, what was going around that time um, and understanding that even though it lists all those particular things, it doesn't necessarily mean that all were present. Um, and in the writings of those days, they would tend to list off all those things um, just to say everything. Um, but yeah, again, it doesn't mean that everybody was there at the time. And also understanding just how battles worked and all that kind of stuff. Um, like it doesn't necessarily mean that the women and children were at the battlefield when that happened. There's a whole bunch of things because ultimately the Amalekites, they're not completely destroyed. They turned up again in uh, chapter 28, chapter 30. Um, and so, yeah, we, we know from the text that Saul didn't do what he was asked, um, cause we read that. Um, but he also, you know, obviously didn't do it cause we see them pop up. And so if the writer of one Samuel didn't want them to turn up again, you just wouldn't put them in there, but clearly did. So I think there's things to, to be taken away from that. And also apparently in ancient Near Eastern times, uh, wall stories used to like to be getting inflated. Like, yeah, we smashed them. We completely destroyed them. Um, and so I kind of use the analogy of Nathan coming to me on Sunday morning and if he was to come and say, mate, we absolutely obliterated the Parramatta Eels on, on Saturday night, I'd be like, oh, no, nah, not really, mate. It was eight points. But again, if you're a Penrith supporter and you watch Friday night's game, they absolutely smash the Roosters 48 to four. So there's a little bit more truth to that story. So it's just helpful to understand what was being written 
that kind of stuff. And as modern day readers, we may not see it like that, but maybe to the original audience that it was written to, they would go, oh, okay, not everything or everybody was killed, um, that kind of stuff. So we did that. And so then we, we unpacked Paul's disobedience. And so we looked at how he didn't listen to God um, and then tried to make up excuses. And so I liked to talk about my excuses that I make up um, and that I tend to throw Nathan under the bus. Um, yeah, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Um, and so <laughs> we were just thinking about what excuses are we making up in our lives um, for the things that we're putting before God. Um, and so we looked at sort of idols and um, an idol being anything that you do above God um, and make a priority in your life. So uh, we unpacked that a little bit and then, you know, sort of landed with that we, we can't live that perfect life. It's impossible. We can't live in perfect obedience. But, you know, the, Jesus did. And it was Jesus that offered that perfect uh, obedient uh, life as a sacrifice for us um, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. And so that was the the whole context of Sunday. Mm, That's you. where the questions come from, which is why we have no questions about uh, genocide because <laughs> it was covered. <laughs> is it genocide though? Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't think it is <laughs> genocide. Like I'll just push back on that a little bit only because we, our first question uses sure. the, the word genocide. Go for it. Um yeah, it wasn't genocide. It was um, one commentator said it this way, which I think is helpful. It wasn't ethnic cleansing. It was ethical cleansing mm. um, that yep. Amalekites had sinned yep. against God, as you said. Yeah, um, and I said that in the, I said that in Sunday's um, sermon that uh, God didn't um, wipe them out because they were Amalekites, but because they were sinners. And yeah. I think that was a clear distinction between that, and that's where some people can uh, get that incorrect when they think about how that sort of plays out in the Bible and how that's also been used in modern day contexts and stuff as well. So mm. I'll retract the genocide statement then. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Beck. All right. Um, so our first question does use the word genocide, but we've just addressed that. Um, Saul hears the instruction for genocide from Samuel, not directly from God. How is he to know that Samuel hasn't gone rogue? I know if I was told by a human, even a minister or prophet, I don't know that I would obey that instruction either. Yeah, 100%. Um, again, I'll just land back on context as key um, mm -hmm. and how God would speak uh, to his people in those times. And so uh, Samuel uh, was a prophet um, and a priest. And so in his prophet role, God would speak directly through him. Um, and I think, Nathan, you mentioned is it 1 Samuel chapter... Nine. Nine, that everything that Samuel said came true. Um, and so... I think it's important to understand that there was affirmation to Samuel's role as prophet uh, in Israel. And so in that context, um, yes, you would believe what would be said from Samuel. Um, but in our modern day context, um, we live in a completely different um, stage of sort of salvation history where Jesus is both our prophet, priest and king. And as Hebrews tells us, everything has been done and said. Uh, and so if someone was to say something like, go and do that uh, today, um, that's just completely against what we believe as a church and what the Bible teaches itself. So, yeah, I would push back as well if I was in that person's position and someone like, I don't know, a, a minister said, go and do X, Y, and Z, and it was contrary to what the scriptures say. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, you, 100%, you would always just go back and go, no, it doesn't say that. Um, times have changed. We live under the reign of Jesus. And so, yeah, very different kind of context. Mm. I think what you said at Night Church is really helpful as well. Like he, Samuel's just... He's, he's fulfilling Exodus 17, where God mm. had promised to wipe out the Amalekites because 
the Amalekites tried to wipe out uh, Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness and tried to destroy them, and, and God promised then that He would He would destroy them. So, um, yeah. So Samuel isn't just plucking this command out of nowhere. One, mm. he's he's a prophet from God, and two, he it's in line with Scripture as well. So he's got scriptural backing and his positional backing as well as being a prophet and being someone who everything he says comes true. So there's a lot there's a lot of weight to what Samuel says. Mm. I'm particularly affirming that prophet role waiting. It's something that. I think we don't really fully understand and we can't really, there's not, we, we see it in Jesus and we have that comparison there. Um, but I guess it also shows maybe how far Saul is starting to fall already, even though he disobeys in this chapter, he isn't heeding the word of this trusted figure. Um, and yeah, it, we see in the Bible, the, the, the prophets of Israel being trusted and having that weight and that weightiness that we, yeah, just don't really can't really have a similar figure to apart from Jesus today. Mm. Yeah. And God's revealed everything to us through his word. And that's where mm. we go. That's it's so been spoken, it. it's written down. Mm. Yeah. So that's there for us. Mm. Yeah. That's really helpful. It's an important question to ask because I think mm. that idea of how God speaks to us today is a really important question. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we run everything through the grid of scripture because um, we have scripture now and that's God's word for us. Yeah. So good question. Thanks for asking it. All right. So we had a couple of questions about the nature of Saul's repentance. Um, so Saul says he has sinned in this passage. Does that mean he repented? And I'll ask the next question as well, because it sort of relates very strongly. Why does God reject Saul after he seems to admit that he sinned? Great question. Uh, I would say off the bat, and I think I said this on Sunday when answering it, that on a surface level, it may look like that he repented, um, but from an actual, when you continue to read a little bit further down, it looks as though he's done it for his own benefit uh, or really for to keep, like, stature, I think. Um, because you, you read a little bit further on that he's like, he says, um, verse 30, I've sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship. And this is what was interesting. Um, Nathan's dad pointed this out to me. The Lord, your God, mm. not my God. So I don't know if that's just a translation thing or whether Saul's going, oh, no, I don't acknowledge God as God, but rather he's Samuel's God and I'm just doing what I'm told by Samuel as the king of Israel, whether there's a difference between that. And so I just found that super helpful. So thank you, uh, Mr. Brewer. Um, but uh, it was it was just really helpful to, to look at that a little bit further and go, yeah, I wonder whether he's gotten so far to this point where he just he just does his own thing and just doesn't care and just goes, oh, I'm sorry, but then keeps doing it. Mm. Um, and I said that repentance is to turn away from. Yeah. He just keeps doing it. And yes, there's going to be sins in our lives where we keep falling back into it, but we're also going to be going, are we making active steps or active changes to turn away from our old ways, to put to death, as Paul writes, um, for us, our, our sinful nature? Um, and so I think for, for Saul, it was all of more of a stature. And I, in the sermon, I was saying that he's a, he's a, his heart is after the people, not after God. And that's a clear distinguisher between him and David. Um, is that he's more concerned about how he looks rather than how God looks. Um, and so, yeah, it, he may say it on the surface, but I think, yeah, it's more more about him. And again, like, you know, you, verse 24, I've sinned but I, and I've violated the Lord's commands and your instructions, but I was afraid of the men. Why are you more afraid of men than you are of God? Mm. Like, it's just, again, the people. It's all about the people. And so it's a heart check for us. You know, are we... Are we repenting because we're repentant in the sense that we're worried about judgment and we're just doing it for, you know, tick a box sake? Or is it because we truly 
you know, love God and want to follow God? Or is it because, you know, we, we do it because it's, a, it's just what we do, because it's just what we do. So there's a bunch of things going on. But yeah, happy to throw to someone else if they want to add some stuff. Yeah, I think Dave pointed out a good crossover text for this um, would be the Exodus story with Pharaoh, where multiple times uh, when they're going through a plague and he wants it to end, he'll go to Moses and go, oh man, I've stuffed up, I've sinned, you know, I've done the wrong thing, you know. Forgive me, call off the plague, and in the moment um, Moses calls off the plague, he's back doing his old his old thing, and so you can't admit you're wrong with no in no intention to repent and to change your ways, and so you just want a result that you think uh, admitting your guilt might get you, and so for Saul, he wants to be honoured by Samuel and the men, and so he goes, oh yeah, I'll admit I'm wrong because that'll appease Samuel, and then if I appease Samuel, maybe he'll honour me, and for Pharaoh, it's I'll admit I'm wrong, so Moses will call off this plague. No intention to change their ways, uh, no evidence of repentance really in their life just saying something that's expedient at the time to get what they want. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, Pharaoh and, and Saul are both uh, both leaders uh, doing uh, similar things with that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And it's quite convicting, isn't it? Because when you see the kind of excuses that Saul makes for his sin, they're the kinds of excuses we all make for our sin as well, like blaming other people, saying, oh, I thought this would be better like if I did it this way um, and I did it for good reasons, like those kinds of things are the excuses that we all make and that it's kind of convicting to say that's not true repentance. Mm. Mm. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, yeah. And there's a humility in accepting that and and going down that path and actually having that repentance and mm. genuinely taking that route. Um, but I, don't, I think we've seen in, in Saul's actions that it's a conditional thing. It's all about him and where he wants to go mm. rather than that having that humble stature before God. Mm. Yeah, let's not be like Saul. However, um, Scripture presents someone who's like a, a counterpart to Saul and that's David. Um, but we had a couple of questions wondering um, how is David better than Saul, particularly since that we know that David also sinned grievously, grievously badly. <laughs> what do you think, James? Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. David did some terrible stuff. Um, and so we're going to read more about that um, as we make our way through the rest of 1 Samuel. Um, but one of the key distinguishes between Samuel and, um, sorry, between Saul and David is their heart for God. Um, and I kind of made that distinguishment um, in the sermon um, that, you know, Saul is a man after the people's heart, whereas David is a man after God's own heart. Um, and we just see that in the way that um, they come before God. Um, Saul does it in a place of how do I look? How am I seen before my people? David comes back to God in true repentance because he's sorry for what he's done. And it has nothing to do with how he looks or anything like that, but rather that he comes before him in true repentance because he is sorry for what he has done. And we see that expounded um, in the Psalms. You know, a lot of the Psalms have been written by David. We see his heart being poured out uh, through those. Um, and so we see... Um, that David truly had a relationship with God. He loved God. Um, he walked with God through all seasons. And especially when he was did the wrong thing, he always came back to God in true repentance. And so, yeah, that's pretty much what I think was the answer I gave on Sunday. Well, that was kind of the key distinguishes. Man after the people and a man after God. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the big differences. Mm. Acknowledging the, the root of that, of the part of the, of the question here, though, it is hard to reconcile. Like mm. we do, they are, David is elevated above Saul, but they do both sin. And mm. that just highlights back to the, 
I think we've talked about it already, but we'll, I'm sure we'll highlight it again. The types that these kings are, they are, some of them are better than others and some of them are way better than others, like we see in David as the man after God's own heart. But ultimately, they all fail because they're human. Mm-hmm. And that points us back to Jesus as the perfected version of what that kingship should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think Psalm 51 is a psalm he writes in response to, and this is David, uh, in response to his big failure in 2 Samuel 11. Mm-hmm. And you just see a guy who goes, I've been sinful from birth and I've completely and utterly failed you. Wash me clean, God. Like you do, he, there's a deep understanding of how faith and relationship with God works. Uh, and so it would be very interesting to compare Psalm 51 of David to Saul's responses each and every time he's confronted with sin. Uh, whereas David just completely blames himself and owns his sinfulness and begs God to wash him clean. Mm. Uh, and Saul is, yeah, like in this text, he's blaming the men in, Sa- in Samuel 13. He's blaming Samuel. Like he's very, just he just can't own his own sin at any point. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to compare um, how Saul responds and how David responds, even when they're confronted by the prophet as well. So when Saul's prophet comes along and says, you've sinned, there's this long conversation where Saul brings up all these excuses and rationales and things. Whereas when um, David's prophet comes along and says, you have sinned and he's convic- confronted by his sin, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And that's it. Um, and so I think you do see see David's heart in that moment as well. But as Dan says, like, yeah, David is also sinful. Praise God that we have salvation through our perfect King Jesus. Mm. Let's talk about um, Samuel's potential sin now. Um, So question is, Samuel enabled Saul's boasting by returning with him. Did Samuel not sin in this moment, serving Saul's sin and not honouring God in serving him, but man instead? So what this is referring to is Samuel says, Sorry, they both start with S. It's so easy to mess them <laughs> Sorry up. Sorry to get them around the wrong way. Saul says to Samuel, Samuel, please come back with me so that the people can see us together so I can save face is basically um, what Saul is saying to Samuel. Um, at first, Samuel says, I'm not going to go back with you. Um, and then he relents and he goes back with him and is with him as Saul worships um, before the people. Did Samuel, is Samuel being unwise in this moment? What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't prep for this one. <laughs> um, I think we're probably off the top of my head, uh, no. Uh, I think in, in the context of this, uh, Samuel is still coming back um, and fulfilling his role as priest for the people. Um, and so I think uh, even though um, Samuel has fulfilled what God asked uh, Saul to do by killing King Agag and um, moving on from sort of the end of that narrative, um, Samuel is still a, a priest and a prophet to the nation of Israel. And so... It's probably less of because Saul has begged him to do it for saving face, but rather he would be keep upholding his role as um, prophet and priest in the nation of Israel. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't think he's he's sinning in that instance. But happy to have other pushback. If anyone else wants to add, anything? yeah, I think the text leaves it neutral whether yeah. it was wrong or not, and um, it's yeah. not given any detail. And I think we know from Samuel's character, he's quite happy to say no to Saul and follow through. So I don't think he, even though he does have a heart for Saul, we see how mm. grieved he is, the fact yeah. that he like he mourns Saul, but I think he's pretty happy and pretty com- comfortable to say, nah, I'm not doing what you say. Mm. And so, yeah, he obviously changed his mind or, yeah, I don't think the text gives us much to go on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like Saul just got it handed to him. Like Samuel was pretty scathing. Uh, <laughs> so, like, yeah. It's and in fact, <laughs> after this, event that's the that's last it. time they see each other yeah. because now Samuel has a role 
as prophet to the new king. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah. So it was kind of a parting act, I suppose. But yeah, I agree. I don't think the text makes a judgment, so it makes it difficult for us too. Until Saul signs him from the dead in 1 Samuel 28. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not preaching that. Yeah, that's day. That's a senior minister yeah. uh, past the buck. <laughs> oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Can't wait to it hear about really that. It'll be really good. Yeah, I forgot about um, Samuel's coming back from the dead. There you go. Um, all right. So now moving to our most asked question. Um, this was asked. I did prepare this one. <laughs> Thank you. Because um, it was asked seven times. So, um that's the most we've ever had one single question pop up on the podcast. So the question, I'm going to summarise it, it goes like this. In 1 Samuel 15, 11 and 35, it says that God regretted that he had made Saul king. How can an all-powerful, perfect God who knows the future have regrets? After all, he knew this was how it was going to work out. Is he saying he made a mistake? No. That Next was question. some hardcore preparation. <laughs> right there. No, no, thank you. Um, yeah, no, awesome that people um, were thinking about that. So essentially, uh, I had a look at all the different English translations um, regarding the word "regretted," and there was there were three. There was "regretted," there was "he repented," and there was also "he was very sad or very sorry that he had made Saul king." Um, but. We also know that later in the passage, in verse um, 28, just as, uh, sorry, verse 29, um, this is um, Samuel here. Uh, he's saying that he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. And so it kind of, it sits in this tension between, yes, we know that God is all-knowing. So this is the omniscience. Um, I think that got brought up a couple of times in the question um, that God is all-knowing. Um, and he, he has predestined, um, and we know that from, from Romans um, 8, um, you know, where Paul writes that uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. And so we know that God knows what's going to happen, but yet how do we hold that intention with God, let's say, regretted, and therefore it, it insinuates that he didn't know that this is what Saul was going to do. But I think uh, from what we know of God, uh, thinking the broader biblical theology around God's sovereignty, his omniscience, um, that I think um, there are more passages that point to God being in control and knowing and not changing his mind that from a surface level, we may look at this and read this as going, oh, God didn't realize Saul was going to do this. He wouldn't have appointed him in the first place, but rather no, God did know, but there are things outside of what we can comprehend and what we can understand that um, uh, just stop us from being to f being able to fully unpack something like this. And, and we see this in, in Job. Mm -hmm. um, so we, um, we know at the beginning of Job, there's a spiritual battle going on and and Satan does all this horrible stuff uh, to, to, to Job and God allows it. But Job has no idea why all these bad things are happening. Um, and so we can kind of see that there is stuff that's going on outside of what we can comprehend as humans um, in order to, to make sense of stuff like this. And, and Nathan was saying before, um, you're, you're quoting, where was it? I think it was Paul again in Romans about yeah, clay and potter. And does the, the, the clay question the potter mm. and... And I think there's, there's, there's that aspect to it as well, that there are some limitations that we can fully comprehend and understand. And in this case, we need to look at the broader understanding of biblical theology and go, no, God is omniscient, God is in control, God doesn't change his mind and stuff like that, um, for us to then go, look, it could be just a way that it was written. Because he was grieved or he repented. Um, 
and then regret is the other. And you, what did you say the Hebrew was? Hebrew, yeah, it literally means to sigh. To sigh, yeah. <laughs> so he was, yeah, it was just like, why? Why would you do it, all? <laughs> but I knew you were going to do it, but that's okay. David's coming, and you know what? My son's coming, so it's even going to be better than you. So <laughs> we'll have this solved in a little while. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think just understanding that probably it, it does answer your question, but it doesn't. But anyway, that's my, my two cents. Yeah, I think I was also reading, these are hard, there's just so many strands of theology in one go, so you kind of need to take five minutes on each strand, and then even then they don't neatly tie in together, so you're still left with a bit of a mess <coughs> at the end. Um, yeah, so I was reading one person saying it could just be anthropomorphic language, so yeah, the biblical author using language that humans can understand, because um, God is so far, so other and so above us, and so he doesn't change his mind, and he's always had a plan and yet he is saddened by sin. And so it could just be anthropomorphic language where it goes, ah, oh, God was, was really sad. God regretted that Saul was in charge. Um, so it could be sort of yeah, using language that we can understand, but it doesn't reflect what's going on exactly with what God's got happening. Um, yeah, and I think God, God doesn't make mistakes. He had the plan way in advance, and so he's not blindsided by Saul's sin, and yet human sin still saddens him. And so there is that tension of he knows it's going to happen and yet it still hurts him. And so, mm. yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, and yeah, that, there is that sovereignty and free will question. And anyway, there's articles that you can read. So I was telling people about some John Piper articles, wrestling sort of like the two wills of God, you mm. know, his will for the whole plan of the world that's been written as the beginning of time. And then his will of sort of his desire, his decretive will and sort of if he's the will of his desire kind of thing. Uh, for us to obey him and not to sin. And, and so that could be a couple of the two wills kind of happening in the same text of God knew it was going to happen, but he's still upset by human sin. And mm. um, Yeah, so there's tons of strands of theology, uh, but um, yeah, God didn't make a mistake. God knew it was going to happen, and yet God is still grieved by Saul's sin. Yeah. Um, and we'll, <clears throat> sorry, we'll link that in the show notes as well to Desiring God because there's some great stuff there that you can look under certain topics and articles and stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm. it's a yeah i'm affirming what these guys have already said it's this is a strand many strands of theology that so many people even today just just constantly grapple with because it is a constant pull and push between how much do we have a say how much does god have a say ultimately because he's sovereign and and like we even see the other way in exodus with moses at sinai like because of moses arguments to god he relented and and that kind of thing so there's that constant pull and push and there's examples in both ways in the Bible, but we ultimately can only know so much because we are limited in our knowledge and we are human, but we, and that's the beauty of, that's faith. That's faith, trusting that God has that ultimate knowledge that we can't feel that and that mediate that, mediate that, that tension, but God can. Mm. Mm. And I think it's really important to point out that the text does say um, in verse 29 that God doesn't change his mind or mm. have regrets. That, that verse is just verses away from these verses that talk about God having regrets. And it's not like the author of 1 Samuel didn't realise that, oops, he made a mistake. So I think that wrestling with those two ideas actually drives us to try and figure out who God is. And perhaps that's part of the intention of the author, I don't know, but it certainly has driven us to to discover um, who God is and, and the nature of God's sovereignty um, and foreknowledge and, um, yeah, and, and 
when we do that, we acknowledge that just as verse 29 says, God is not like us. So if God's going to have regrets, it's not going to be in the same way that we have regrets. So there's that element of the sadness. Oh, I really wish that didn't happen. But for God, it's more like there's a sense, a sorrow that this had to happen this way. Um, God allows things um, um, in, in the world that don't, like we've said, Job, don't make sense to us, but for his purposes. And that's part of God's power is that he can transform a bad situation into a glorious situation. Um, yeah. So God does not change his mind and, um, he wouldn't do it again differently if he had a chance. Um, that's not the same because he's not the same as us. He does have that foreknowledge and sovereignty. Yeah. An analogy that Piper used in one of his articles, which was, which was good. You just can't fully capture all of God's yeah. things in, in an analogy, but his talk about how he disciplines his son and he disciplines his child because they've done something wrong and the, the discipline can be strong and the child walks away sad and hurt. And he was saying, in a sense, I regret disciplining him because it hurt him. But at the same time, it was absolutely the right thing to do. I would a hundred percent do it again. And yet you, there is that regret of like, oh, I'm, I'm sad that it came to that. And I'm sad that my son is, is hurting right now, but totally I was in the right to do that. And so and you do see that God sort of where he, where it is said that he regrets. It's when he's about to dole out some big punishments. So um, Genesis 6 with the flood and, yeah. and then some really harsh, uh, there's some really strong punishments on Saul in, in um, 1 Samuel 15. So mm. there is that sense of he's doing the right thing. We'd absolutely do it again. And yet there's, there's a sadness that of what he's, yeah, yeah. what he's disciplined that he should do is going to affect uh, the person that he's putting the discipline on. Yeah. So in a sense, it's regret over man's changeability, um, not God's changeability. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So we had a couple of questions about obeying God today in our context. Um, firstly, we have, what are some commands that we find too hard to obey today? We aren't asked to wipe out people. Um, so which commands do we think are the ones that we find too hard to keep like Saul? I can answer it, but I did it on Sunday. So I'm like, <laughs> see if one of the other guys yeah. will pick it up. No, yeah. I'll pick it up. I can, I can go. I can go. Oh. Yeah, you haven't thrown anything. Don't all, fight about it, guys. Yeah, that's right. Should um, I just go I'm now? Going first every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You, yeah, I was going to say you haven't thrown anyone all morning. So yeah, been a good boy. Uh, yeah, you've been you've been <laughs> e exemplary. Yeah, Thank you've you. been you've been excellent. Um, yeah, I think the ones, particularly for me, and I think for most people, is the ones that are the most countercultural. And so James did mention on Sunday, sex, sexuality. Uh, the ones where just Christianity uh, flies straight in the face of our culture. And so, um, yeah, they're, they're really hard to follow because those things, those things attract a culture for a reason, you know. And so, um, and so there's something desirable about what the culture is throwing out and yet it's not God's way. And yet we're also all products of our culture to certain extents. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, things that are really countercultural just don't – instantly don't sit right. And it's that reshaping by God's word, shaping by the spirit. And that sort of makes us over time see uh, the world the way God does. But yeah, that initial reaction to some of the teachings in the Bible that are countercultural, like that's not what I'm used to. That's wrong. Uh, and then, yeah, there's the, the, the idols of our culture as well. So it's very easy to chase wealth, to chase success, to chase status. Um, yeah, because again, the culture values it and there is something alluring and exciting about getting those things. And so... Yeah, pretty much the commands that um, go against what our culture wants, I think, are always going to be the hardest. Uh, but the challenge is that shifts through generation, generations. There are different idols and different mm. um, uh, things that different cultures value. But for us, yeah, that's sex, sexuality, money, career, wealth. 
uh, having the perfect family, those things, they're the hardest, I think, to follow God when it clashes with culture. Mm. I think like underlying all that at just a base level, um, acknowledging and paying mind to God, particularly in, in hard situations, um, like David does, for example, in, in the way that David does can be so hard for us because we so often can just rely on something so tangible and some and ourselves because that's what the experience that, that we know. But um, that's exercising that muscle and making sure that we are paying mind to God even when it's hard and keeping ourselves accountable with the people around us. Um, yeah, it even just that basic acknowledgement can be so tricky sometimes because of the world around us too. So trusting God trusting in, God hard, just situations. in hard situations. Yeah. Mm. Theologically correct answer could be that all the commands are too hard for us to keep because we're <laughs> more sinful. Too true. Um, but yeah, I think the question's nice asking. Play. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But I think the question's asking, yeah, what are the commands that just are so jarring? Like the command for Saul to wipe out everything was a jarring mm. command. Like, yeah. So anyway. I don't think Saul had a problem with the command because it was a jarring command. Yeah. Um, the way that we would find it jarring mm. because that's what kings did in the ancient sure. Near East. They Slaves killed sword. people <laughs> like in, in battle. Um mm. So, and I don't, and Saul didn't have a problem with, um, slaughtering all of the weak people and mm. the weak sheep and the weak, um, cows. So I don't think he was, um, he didn't not fully obey because of compassion, but because of that issue that you brought up first, which is doing things, um, that make us look bad in front of other people. So he wanted to look good in front of other people. And that's why he kept the king alive and kept all the good stuff for himself. Yeah. And further to what you said in chapter 22, he's going to wipe out one of his own cities with yeah. no regard for anyone. He's going to completely, he's going to be happy to completely destroy one of his own cities that he thinks aligned with David. Um, and so he wipes out all the priests. I think of Nob, I can't remember which, I think that's the city that he wipes out. But um, right. yeah, so that's seven chapters from now. So he doesn't have any problem with wiping out entire cities even of his own people it's just mm. that he wanted the wealth and the gain and the plunder mm. so yes that's that's good mm. yeah and i said idolatry on sunday so i think when we're just putting things above god mm. and making them our god um i think we can find that um, more often than not quite a common thing for many of us is prioritizing things of this world that become more important than um than god himself so just checking ourselves making sure that you know we're seeking first his kingdom his glory uh, in all things, um, which as, you know, we're sinners, so we don't always do that, but always seeking to do that as best as we can I mm. think is important. And that resonates with the heart of Saul's sin as mm. well, is that he wanted to take all the glory for himself. Um, mm. And um, yeah, so yeah, we're all, we're all the same, us and Saul, hey. All right. So the next question is, how can I make sure I'm not treating God like a checklist and try and connect with him? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think we can fall into the trap that we see Christianity as kind of like a ticker box. I do all these things and I receive salvation or I'll go to heaven or all that kind of stuff. And that's just far from the re reality of what Christianity is. Um, you know, we're not, we're not religious. Uh, it's, it's, we're, we're in a relationship. Um, and that's kind of the key distinguisher is what's driving the motives for you to do all those things. Um, are you doing that from a place of ticker box or are you doing it from a place of, I want to be in a relationship with the true and living God. Um, and that we have that now through Jesus, who is our great high priest. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what the heart behind why you're doing those things um, is really important. And so it falls back into the, the, the classic answers that we give where we go, read your Bible, pray, 
because that's where God speaks to us through his word and where we get to to tell him about what's going on in our lives and for us to, to grow in our relationship with him. Um, and so I think those two things are really important, but also being in Christian community with our fellow brothers and sisters, um, sharpening one another, um, growing in our relationship with God and with one another, um, are some really key aspects to help make sure that we just don't fall into this ticker box religious kind of notion of this is what Christianity is about because it's not, um, you know, God doesn't want us to go to more services or serve more or do all this kind of stuff. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And all those things will flow out of, you know, the, the ticker box things that you're referring to will flow out of our relationship. Uh, and so, you know, you can find that if you're not if you're not investing in the relational aspect of what it means to be a Christian, then yes, it'll very much become a ticker box. Um, so I just, just encourage you to, to find time to be in the word, uh, to be growing, praying. Um, there's some really important things for you as a Christian just to, to be doing that so that, yeah, it doesn't become this ticker box. I think pastorally, as you think about um, what I'm doing and the heart behind all that kind of stuff, um, I think there's an important thing to acknowledge that the capacity to do those things will change with the season you're in too. Um, there might be a time when you when you are able to invest fully in reading your Bible every morning or praying and praying to God at every single moment that you, that you can, but there will be seasons that you go through where maybe you don't have the energy to do that, or maybe that kind of thing where you aren't able to necessarily do that so often or that kind of thing. You aim for that, but you just can't hit that. But we are human and we, we will go through seasons where, yeah, we just can't necessarily meet that high standard, but it's about, like James was saying, the heart behind it, the desire to have that relationship with God. And we even say that from Samuel in the in the passage today um, that, that, we, that we're talking about. So the Lord requires, um, what was it? There we go. Does the Lord desire in, in delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is, is better than the fat of rams. And I think sometimes that, legalistically following a checklist mentality can come into that thing of I need to please him by doing these things. But God ultimately just wants our lives and wants us to be in a relationship with us. So maybe all I can afford in the, in my heart is maybe reading my, my Bible a little bit and then turning to him in prayer. But yeah, knowing our capacity as well and the heart behind us that drives that too. There's a good analogy that an American minister gives where he, you know, for the 25th anniversary, wedding anniversary, he goes and hand selects these 25 beautiful flowers and he knocks on the door and hands them to his wife and she says, oh, they're so beautiful. Um, why do you get this for me? And he says, it's my duty. <laughs> Rather than, I love you so much and I personally hand selected these because I wanted to honour you and honour our relationship on this day. So it can be the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, reading whether it be reading the Bible, going to church, exact same thing, but what's driving you? And so the first one is not very romantic because he goes, well, it's my 25th anniversary, so I'm obligated to do something. Uh, and uh, and the other one is, no, I love you. And uh, I thought this would be a really personalised way of, of showing my love for you. So, uh, yeah, so you can do the same activity. Uh, with a completely different heart and a completely different relationship behind it. Mm, yeah, that's good. I think as well, just to add to that practically, um, like be honest with God um, will help you connect to him. I know in my recent um, medical journey where there have been really hard times, the only path back to talking to God was to complain. Um, so don't feel like you need to do it in a right way. Just connect with God in any way that you 
that you can, um, but that obedience piece is key. Um, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Um, and so, yeah, we want to, we want to strive to obey God and, and, um, yeah, and repent when we, when we fail and trust in Jesus for that forgiveness. Okay. Um, our last question is a tricky one. Um, talking about the afterlife in the Old Testament. So the question is, with some exceptions, like Enoch and Elijah, how was anyone able to be in heaven with God before the sacrifice of Christ? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> James um, is deflecting to Nathan <laughs> with his eyes. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you, you could go two ways in this. Um, and, and we actually didn't talk about this beforehand, depending on what your theology is of the state of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come from a position where um, everyone's asleep waiting for Jesus' return. But others will say they're in heaven right now. What about Jesus with the, the criminal on the cross? And today you'll be with me in paradise. And so you go, well, how do you hold those th- two things uh, towards each other? I go, why does Jesus need to come back and resurrect the dead and judge them if, you know, we're already in heaven and stuff like that? Or why would Jesus say today you're going to be with me in paradise? Um, and so, I don't know, some people have different views. Um, I, I hold to that everyone's asleep waiting for Jesus' return. The next thing we know will be Jesus' return. Like is when we pass from this life, the very next thing we'll know is Jesus' triumphant return. And so um, similarly in the Old Testament, those that did follow God, um, did offer sacrifices, um, would still be um, resurrected um, because they trusted um, you know, the sins of the past, the present and the future with Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice we read in Hebrews. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's one of those strands of theology that um, can be quite divisive. Um, but, yeah, it just depends on where you land. So that's my two cents, but... Nice. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so that the two positions, sort of the soul sleep and the mm. intermediate state where yeah. your soul goes and is with Jesus and then anyway, then the resurrection of your body, then you're physically and soul with Jesus in heaven. Anyway, so fun things there. Yeah, I think the same, Old Testament people are saved uh, in the same way as we are so through faith in God and his ability to keep his promises. And so, yeah. um, so David trusted in God that there would be a saviour and a messiah that would die for his after since and he didn't know who it was and so he, in some ways there's something to be really commended about the faith of the old testament saints because they were trusting in a in a promise that they didn't see mm. um whereas we look back at it and go uh yeah we clearly see jesus and we and so there's something really commended but they're saying they're saved by the same way as us and that's what hebrew 11 makes clear they're all saved by faith in God uh, and in his saviour. Mm. They just don't know who that saviour is. Mm. Um, and there's little hints that's dropped, but they don't they don't fully understand it. So, no, they're, they're still saved the same way as us, and that's why they can be in, in heaven. And, and um, yeah, no, but I really respect the Old Testament, because, like, particularly Abraham, David, mm. like, they just go, all right, God's promised me this. I'm just trusting it. Don't know, don't know who this is. Don't know who this son of David is, and I don't know which descendant of mine is going to save me. But mm. great, I'll trust him. Yeah. yeah. Um. So no, they're, they're still saved like us. Mm. Yeah, and I think part of the trickiness of it is that the Bible doesn't say all that much about it. Mm. So we are really speculating hard um, when it when it comes down to it, and particularly when it comes to the Old Testament, because like it, them themselves didn't necessarily have a theology of being with God after they died themselves like there was a place of the dead which was Sheol and there's a few little hints in some of the Psalms maybe that there's an eternity with God awaiting but it's not clear um what what God's people themselves thought and scripture doesn't really um tell us very much about it um so it's not bad to speculate but I think we just need to hold any of our conclusions lightly 
That brings us to the end of our questions. Um, so what <laughs> James is rejoicing. I'm piss pumping. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he can breathe his sigh of relief. Sign off. <laughs> yeah. um, so what's happening this Sunday? Yeah, um, you guys have probably never heard of the narrative this week, but um, it's <laughs> David versus Goliath. So yeah, what? Oh. <laughs> what is that story? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Anyway, so the small boy versus the big giant. Um, yeah. So we're. It's an interesting week because it's Baptism Sunday as well. So it'll be David versus Goliath, but um, be more evangelistic and we'll focus in a bit more on Jesus, which David does point us to. But yeah, yeah but no, we'll cover cover that narrative and it is important. Um, there's some classic ways to interpret the text, which are pretty funny. You know, like small people can do big <laughs> things too. And what's the Goliath in your life you need to slay? And what are the five stones you're going to use to, you know, take it all allegorically and just, you know, turn every part of the... What's your slingshot? None of which you'll be bringing us right now. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> see how much, you, know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, no, no, um, yeah, but it's that. Those are you know, they're, they're, those are encouraging, but not the point of the text. So, mm. um, yeah. So we'll see how David um, fighting for his people is sort of a little bit of a type of Christ. You know, yeah. we're supposed to be the people we should be relating to is the the helpless crowd watching their yeah. savior go and defeat the thing that they couldn't do. And so um, that's us in the story. Whereas we like to put ourselves like those allegorical readings of as David, you know, um, when really we're, we're the Israelites. Mm. Yeah, totally. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And that's we hope phone, to. Bro. <laughs> I was going to ignore it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. There is forgiveness here for you, Nathan. <laughs> he really wanted the podcast to finish at 12. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we better wrap up then and we'll hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.